Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, host of the popular Locked On Warriors podcast. During our conversation, we fielded readers pressing questions, many of which unsurprisingly were about the draft. Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, I know you're back in Florida, right? I, I know I, I got to see you a couple times this past week. You had a little stopover back in the Bay Area, um, which was really nice to see you. But uh, but how, how are things back in the homeland, back in the Miami area? Well, it is storming right now. Um, and I am recording from um, a car because the acoustics are better. But I'm not sure that you, your listeners might hear the pitter-pat of, uh, of some Florida rainstorms here. So kind of wish I was back in California right now. Uh, meanwhile, it is 78 degrees and sunny with a nice little light breeze out here in Alameda. <laughs> so uh, the weather out here has been incredible. I know, I know you probably got to experience that when you were out here. Um, I miss it. Yeah. Well, it misses you, Wes. Um, so, so this week we're doing um, – we're doing a mailbag pod. Um, you know, I'm always impressed with our listeners and our readers. I feel like even when nothing's going on, they can find something to ask. Um, and, and they're often very relevant, pertinent questions. Um, so we got a bunch of good ones this week. Um, they, they hit on a wide range of topics. Of course, a lot of them have to do with the draft, which is actually finally imminent. We're only about uh, – we're less than a month officially away from the draft, believe it or not, which is November 18th. Um, and so, you know, I know you and I have both been, uh, doing draft profiles every week on different guys in our own different way. Um, and, uh, so you and I have been digging in individually into someone every week. Do you mind letting our readers know who you're doing this week? Uh, this week I'm writing on, uh, Isaac Okoro, the, uh, the high level wing defender in this draft. A lot of people consider him the top defender in this draft. Um, and I probably would agree with that. But uh, there are also some notable concerns about his game that at least I have and that are shared with other people that I've talked to. But um, should make for an interesting piece because a lot of people are comparing him to Andre Iguodala. But I would fall – I'm a little bit more hesitant to give him such lofty comparisons. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it's First of all, it's really hard to project defense at the next level um, from college to the NBA. It's just so different. Um but I do think he's going to be a very high-level defender in the NBA. Okay. I actually wrote about him last week. Um, and, and, you know, he's one of those guys – I don't think he has the in, most interesting story compared to maybe some other guys we've written about. Um, but right. he, he, uh, his defense is going to get him in the door. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that translates. If he can develop a jump shot, he could be, you know, a 15-year pro. I don't think he's going to be an all-star or anything like that. I think, I think the Andre comparison is a little lofty. But uh, – but I do think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Um, the the guy I'm writing about this week is actually Sadiq Bay out of Villanova, which people might hear that and be surprised because there's no way he's going number two. But uh, the Warriors, as we all know, there's a very good chance that they'll trade back. And if they trade back, I think, depending on where they trade back, if they trade back to like the late lottery, I think there's a decent chance they eye someone like Sadiq Bay. They're really high on him. So I felt kind of compelled to write about him just because I know how much the Warriors like him. Um, so this week, a uh, bunch of good questions. The first one is from at Witta Glizzy. Uh, and shout out to at Witta Glizzy. You've, you've, I feel like you ask at least one question every week, and they're always good ones. He's, um, he's a constant on my mailbags, too, that I do. Yeah. Uh, he's you know, a, I, a I appreciate the regulars, man. 
especially yeah. since we put the call out at like different times of day. So it's like, you're probably on Twitter all the time. Um, hey, which... Can I just add one other thing too, to like the little Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell conversation? Sure. Um, I actually had Jonathan Sharks on my podcast uh, this week. We did like a mock draft and we kind of went through Isaac Okoro and he actually fell out of our, we did the draft just for the lottery. So just the top 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and he fell out of our top 14. We just couldn't, like when we were running teams, we really couldn't find a place for Okoro to go. And he'll probably end up t- be taken in the lottery, but it wouldn't shock me if he slid. And one of the comparisons we get with Isaac Okoro so often is the Andre Godala one. But mm-hmm. Chark said something really interesting. He said, historically, when you look at guys who were compared to Isaac Okoro, or who were compared to Andre Godala, it hardly ever works out. So Yeah, Andre's an incredibly unique player. Um, yeah. And Andre has one of the highest basketball IQs of anyone ever. Um, and I'm, I, I think that Isaac Okoro is a smart player, but I don't, I don't think it's fair to put him in that same category. I actually think he's more like Andre Roberson than Andre Iguodala. Um, yeah, I kind of like the uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist uh, comparison. Which would suggest that you don't think super highly of him because Michael Kidd-Gilchrist Chris, is barely in the league and has been a total bust as a former number two pick. Um, yeah, I'm, I, have, I have major questions about um, – because, like, Iguodala, like, guys like him, they had they came out with, like, a really quick first step, tremendous, like, high-level athletes, really, like, uh, advanced ball handler uh, as they kind of went on through his career. I have not seen much from Okoro to make me confident that would um, be the case with him. Fair enough. Um, so this, this one's from Atwood Iglizzi. In terms of staying at number two or trading down – uh, for example, or in terms of staying at number two or trading down, picking Denny, Vassal, et cetera, what do you think is the most likely scenario that plays out? Um, that's a really good question. And it kind of feels like the more time, like one of the problems with having this like long of a process between, you know, the end of the warrior season and the draft is that you end up sort of thinking about every scenario and you kind of start talking yourself out of maybe the most logical scenario. Right. Um, and over the, like the last couple of weeks, I've sort of talked myself out of the fact that I thought the Warriors were just always going to stay at number two. And I think that they're going to certainly be open to trading down, but now I'm kind of coming back, you know, you know, you you keep checking in with people with the, with the Warriors and stuff like that. And, you know, like I said, they're going to want to trade down, but then you look at, or they'd at least be open to it, I should say, but you, you look at the options. I just don't really know what the trade down for them is, right? It's so easy to just say, well, yeah, the Warriors should just trade down, but with who, you know? And maybe it's like an easy trade down. Like they flip picks with Charlotte at number three. Like, okay, that's technically a trade down, but it's not really a trade down when we talk about what a lot of Warriors fans talk about is, okay, maybe move down to like five or six or seven or eight, you know? But I, I think that's just too far for them to go. Like, the Pistons and the Knicks make the most sense to move up. And it just, that just seems really far for me. I'm not saying it's out of the question, but I, I really don't know what the return on investment is. Like, are you going to try to get a young player? Well, the Knicks might want to be able – the Knicks might be willing to give up a player, but it seems like a long shot that they'd be willing to give up, you know, even a Mitchell Robinson, who a lot of Warriors fans has targeted as a want. Um do you really want anybody from Detroit? No. Like, are you really going to move down from two to seven for Tony Snell? I wouldn't. Uh, so you kind of kind of start parsing through the possible trade downs, and there's just not really 
a, a super realistic one unless they're able to just get like a bunch of draft picks from like the Knicks at number eight. And if they're comfortable moving down that far, um, maybe like a guy like Devin Vassell or Tyrese Halliburton is still on the board. But uh, I, I still ultimately think that they probably end up staying at number two and maybe, you know, going ahead and, and quote unquote reaching for a guy like Denny Avia if they're not, you know, if Anthony Edwards is off the board at number one. So as, as we've talked about, we've, we're both of the mindset that if, they, if there's someone they decide they, like, have to have that they really like that they can get at number two, then they should just keep number two and not worry too much about it, right. um, especially since, like you said, that there might not be a – they might not get a huge asset in trading down to, like, the mid to late lottery anyway. <clears throat> but um, the more I talk to people around the Warriors, I get the vibe that there's several guys that they really like those guys being Denny, Tyrese Halliburton, Basil is definitely a name that keeps coming up as well. I think there's also a couple other guys that they like um, that maybe yeah. they can get later, guys like Sadiq Bey. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's a, a guy that they like feel like they have to have. Um, I think there's several guys that they would be happy to have, but um, that makes me think that they, they would be more likely actually – to trade back into like the mid to late lottery. Um, just because I think that if they trade back to, let's say like eight, um, they're, they're going to be able to get one of the guys they, they want there. Um, they will. You know, it, that it, was sort it, of the exercise we did on my podcast with Sharks was I, I made that trade in like this fake mock draft. And we really considered, you know, each pick as it came. And one of those guys is going to be there at eight it really just depends on what they can get, you know? And again, I just don't, like I said, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a young player. I just don't see the player that is worth moving down, but if they can get a bundle of draft picks in return, because it's not one future first rounder is not enough from like the Pistons or the Knicks to move that far down. It's just not. Um, So if they can get like a couple of assets in return, then I could see them doing that because those are now assets, future first round picks that you can use, and a potential uh, superstar trade down the line. And that's what I think that they should be looking for in a trade down situation and probably what they would be looking for in that situation. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds, but um, this is because this is such a, a fluid draft. Um, but that I, I see, I think it's a situation where they're, they're going to end up, probably trading down uh, at this point. I know that's different than what I've said before, but like this stuff evolves and I've been talking to people more recently and um, you know, the guy that you and I have talked a lot about and the guy that I think I'm, maybe I'm stealing your take here a little bit, but uh, the guy I think makes the most sense for them, both short and long-term is actually Devin Vassell out of Florida state. Yeah. And I think they could get him at like eight. Um I think he's a guy who can – I think the more I think about it, the more I believe that they need to get someone who can be a factor defensively from day one. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get that guy in free agency or even with the traded player exception who can come in and be a, a go-to defensive stopper. I think it's asking a lot for a rookie to be that guy, but I think Basel can develop into that guy. And I think he's a good enough shooter, and I think he's he can bring enough offensively to be – a well-rounded rotation player from day one. And he's also young, you know, um, he right. only, he only spent two years in college. Um, so I think he makes so much sense. And I think if, if you can trade down to eight and get him, 
um, and then and then also get another asset. I think you you do that. Yeah, I think number eight is might might be the sweet spot. Um, it's starting to feel like Minnesota's Lamelo Ball stuff is just smoke, you know, to maybe try to force mm-hmm. a trade. Um, and and Anthony Edwards is the better fit there. So if they indeed take Edwards at number one, you know, at number two, there's going to be teams that want to move up and get Lamelo Ball, and that team that makes the most sense all along has been the Knicks. And they have the Clippers picks coming over from the Marcus Morris trade. They got all those Mavericks picks that came over from the Kristaps Porzingis trade. They have a ton of picks that, and their own picks, obviously, that they could right. move in a warrior in, in a trade to go up from eight to two that I think that they would be willing to do. I agree with you. I love Devin Vassell. You know he's my guy. He's been my guy for yeah. a long time. You know, he's a, a lot of people look at him as like a three and D type player. I actually, you know, maybe like a two and a three. I actually think he has the length and the, the defensive instincts, especially as a rim protector, to play some small ball four. Um, and, and he created a lot off the dribble. Uh, well, he, I shouldn't say a lot, but when he did, he did a really good job creating the dribble at Florida State. And I, I talked to Leonard, Leonard Hamilton, his coach there, a couple weeks ago, and he said that he could actually he, – he regrets not using Vassal off the dribble more, that he could have done more with and that leads you to believe that there's a lot of upside to tap into there. Um, yeah. They wouldn't shot, and, and if you go back to like conversations with like Steve Kerr early in this sort of pandemic after the and when he was starting to get into the, the scouting, he keeps mentioning, you know, you look at past drafts and the best player in the draft is so often taken at, you know, number 13, 14, 15, sometimes right. like the, you, and these redrafts are just so crazy. And I think the Warriors are, have a very open mindset. And I've said all along, their draft board is going to look very different than a lot of other draft boards. And even if they like, if they like Devin Vassell or somebody like that, it wouldn't shock me if they didn't have to move down all the way to eight to get him. If they even reached, maybe not at number two for him, but it would, like if that's the guy that they like, like, and, and there's no trade that materializes, then it wouldn't shock me if they made a reach in this draft. But still, um, I think. Um, I think Vassal just makes so much sense for him. And he could play right away. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. How different is the Warriors draft board than everyone else? From what I've been hearing, a guy like Sadiq Bey is definitely in the top 10 on their board. And yeah. he is, if you look at mock drafts, very few mock drafts even have them going in the lottery. So that just kind of gives you a, a sense of where, of how different their mindset is than maybe other teams or the consensus. Um, so our next question, I think this is an interesting question. This is from at YNRE with five E's. <laughs> uh, what, what can we get for Eric Pascal in the draft? Can we get the 10th pick higher or lower? Now that's an interesting question um, because uh, obviously, you got Eric Pascal with the 41st pick last year. Um, he was very hopeful this year. You and I had a long discussion, I believe, two weeks ago when you came on the pod about Eric, and we're not sold that he has the highest of ceilings, and I'm not honestly sold about his long-term fit with the Warriors, especially playing alongside um, playing alongside Draymond, and then you have, you have Andrew Wiggins now at the three. I'm not sold that he's like an, a long-term answer there. Um, and so do you, that being said, do you, do you think about kind of capitalizing on his surprisingly good rookie year, maybe thinking that this is kind of maybe the peak of his abilities? Eric Pascal's value in a trade at this point probably doesn't even get you a number one pick. 
a first round pick. Um, really? Teams tend to val- no, I don't think he does. Um, teams really value like the mystery box first round pick. And I think that other teams share similar concerns. Like, Hey, this guy was the number 41 pick. He's older for a rookie uh, or, you know, now a second year player. Um, we don't know what his upside is either. I think they share similar concerns that you do. And they wonder, like, was this just a good stats, you know, on a bad team type guy? I don't – I wouldn't go as far, but I wouldn't – if I were another team, I wouldn't be willing to trade a first-rounder for him. To me, Eric Paschal's – I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just telling you that's probably what his value is. To me, Eric Paschal's trade value at this point is probably as a sweetener in a, in a larger package, and that's, that's probably where it's at. Yeah, you also have to keep in mind that the- – Every front office in the league knows that Bob's Meyer, Bob Myers is a smart guy and knows what he's doing. And if Bob offers you Eric Paschal, fresh off first team all rookie team, you're you're going to be a little skeptical. You're going to be like, okay, why are you offering Eric Paschal? Is there something mm-hmm. we don't know? Like, is he? Are there red flags there? He obviously, you know, wasn't uh, scrimmaging much during minicamp. Is he out of shape? Or you do have questions about his work ethic? Like. Those, those would all come into account. And um, so I, I, I agree with you. I actually think Eric, even though I don't think he has the highest of ceilings, I think he has value for the Warriors as, as a sweetener, as a guy who's a really minimum contract. At the end of the day, he's a win. You, you know, he's on a, a minimum deal as a second round pick guaranteed three years you know, regardless of how much better he gets, he's, he's a great value there. And when you're trying to chase maybe a Giannis or a Embiid or something, those types of contracts really matter. So I wouldn't, I probably, I wouldn't part with him right now. No, his range of outcomes right now is your fifth starter or like your ninth man. Mm -hmm. On like a championship caliber team. Yeah. Right. And at that salary on a team that has a lot of big salaries, that's a huge value to Golden State and probably more than, you know, trading him for the 20, another 28th pick in the draft, right? Like you're not going to get a lottery pick for Eric Pascal. So what you're talking about is just another over, like a, a, a overpriced rookie versus an underpriced uh, contributor right now. So this is from at Dubs Revenge Tour. What are your takeaways from the article about the Warriors wanting to use the TPE for a special reason? Have you been hearing the same thing that they are only going to use it for certain situations? Um, I believe this is referencing an Anthony Slater article from recently. Uh, And I actually reported yesterday in my story about a potential Lakers Warriors rivalry that uh, the Warriors are not, haven't decided yet whether they're going to use the TPE. Um, I don't think it's as much of a sure thing as maybe we initially thought it was. I think that they're looking at, the the market and what's there and they're not loving the options um that being said i i do think that you could go and get someone like a rudy gay who i know we've talked about a lot as a possibility there and i do think he'd add value and i think the warriors would be open to that i still believe they're going to use it it's not it's not a guarantee though um now you've been probably you've cut you've written more about the tp than anyone else <laughs> combined so i'm going to turn this over to you now no, I think we've all sort of heard and reported the same thing, but in sort of like different language, right? Like, you know, you, me, and and Slater might be all hearing it from different people, but, you know, who are obviously part of that Warriors front office. He's saying that it would take a special situation. Um, you know, your wording of – I already forgot what it was. But um, 
I it was it was basically just that they haven't decided what they're going to use it. Right, I've never I've never heard the that those words from anyone I've talked to that it would take a special situation. I still right. believe that they're going to probably use it, but it's not a guarantee. Which which I think months ago we probably assumed it was. And the and the wording that I keep getting is it depends on the player, right? And so they're not going to just go out and use it for I don't. I don't know who they wouldn't use it on, but like they're, they're not going to just go out and get, I don't know, Cody Zeller to be their, you know, the traditional size center that they're seeking this off season. Right. Like they'd rather just go out and sign Alex Len at the veteran minimum at that point. But um, it's similar to when, you know, they weren't planning on using the mid-level exception and DeMarcus Cousins called and said, Hey, I'll sign for the MLE. And they're like, Oh, okay. In this case, we will use the MLE. Um, and that, you know, a couple seasons ago. And, and look, that's the right, approach to this right like you've got to really decide like do we really want rudy gay at his age at 14 million dollars a year for one year um and i think certainly the lack of revenue contributes to that like to say that it's that's worth acknowledging right had the warriors gotten their seven extra home games they may be more willing uh or i guess the the type of player that they would be willing to use it on may have a wider range versus um what it would be now I, I think that that player needs to move the needle. And that's really going to be Bob Myers' job to, to convince, you know, Joe Lake up in this ownership group. You know, this player really moves the needle for us to get to a championship. And so it's worth using this uh, trade exception um, on this player right now. Even if it might hurt us, you know, it might hurt our pockets right now. It's going to pay off in the long term because we're obviously going to get all the revenue from playoffs and the finals and all these things. That would be the sales pitch that Bob Myers has to have. But you look at the candidates that are out there. I don't know that that kind of player is out there in the first place. Like, if you're a Warriors fan, I think on its face you'd say, oh, man, they're not going to use the TPE. That's a bummer. But think, like, who are you really bummed out about not having? Is every war- is any Warriors fan really throwing up their arms because they're not going to have Rudy Gay or Kelly Olenek? I don't think so, right? Like, wouldn't you rather just have, like, Mo Harkless or Myers Leonard or, you know, one of these other guys at the mid-level or the, or the minimum or even just a, por- uh, a partial – a piece of the TPE like I don't know that it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be yeah no I I agree Um, I think I think this is kind of an example of us just having too much time on our hands and so we've we've analyzed this to death and when you analyze something as much as we've analyzed it it, it's totally understandable natural for the reader and listener to think that this is something that's definitely going to happen and 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 matters a lot and I don't think we ever necessarily believe that. It's just we don't have anything else to write or talk about. So, right. That's yeah. why I've covered like every trade exception target. Yeah. No, you have. I, I have like done it nearly as much. As you. So uh, I'm kind of conc- I'm conceding that one to you. That is your you're the expert on that. Um, the the next the next question. I think this is going to be our final question. Is from at Guad Knowledge G U O D Knowledge. Um, Heard a lot about Anthony Edwards' offensive game. How is his defense? Do you think he has the potential of improving to be at the level of Okoro or Vassal? Now, you and I just talked earlier about Okoro and Vassal. Mm-hmm. They're both considered probably the best wing defenders in this draft. Uh, I think uh, everything I've been hearing is that they are at the level where they can come in and be kind of a go-to guy defensively for whatever NBA team they land on. Um, guard, they can guard at least four positions, maybe even five, depending on who the five is. Um, so what, what do you, what do you think? Do you think Edwards can, can get to that level has the potential to be that? 
I don't know that he has like this, just the unique instincts and feel on the defensive end that guys like Okoro and Vassal have. And he's going to be asked to do a lot more offensively than Okoro and Vassal will be, right? Because what you love about Anthony Edwards is he's got this ability to create off the dribble that just there's not a lot of players in this draft that have that, right? Um, and so he's going to be obviously using a lot of energy on the offensive side of the ball that I just, he's not going to be like fighting over screens the way Okoro is or, you know, running across the baseline on help defense the way that Devin Vassell would be because um, those guys are going to be defensive specialists. But I think he definitely has potential on the defensive end because when I watch games at Georgia, like those last like four or five minutes, he, he kind of turns it up a notch, right? Like he, there's, there's concerns at the point of attack and stuff. But what I love about him is he's so competitive and he wants to have the ball and he wants to be on the ball. And there's an aggression to his game that I love. And that kind of stuff tends to transfer over to the NBA, right? And, and, and tends to lend itself to being a good defensive player. So if he's drafted, and it's always situational. You talk about this all the time, Connor. But if he gets into the right system, the right coaching staff, in the right situation that can sort of tap into that and bring out the most of that not and doesn't have to ask him to be, you know, the fulcrum of the offense, then, yeah, I think he could become an – uh, a pretty good uh, defender at the NBA level, maybe even like a borderline all NBA defender, like a Jalen Brown. I think that that could be wow. sort of his feeling. I mean, he, he has a lot of the physical tools that Jalen Brown has. Right. Um, I, the more I look at Wiggins, the more I just think, or sorry, the more I look at Anthony Edwards, the more I think of Andrew Wiggins, um, both offensively and defensively. There's, they have a lot of the same question marks. Um they have a lot of the same physical tools. Um, I think that I mean, you look at you look at Andrew Wiggins' career, and he's a great example of fit um, in Minnesota. Some people considered him the worst defender in the entire league because he got into really bad habits. He didn't have great coaching. He didn't have consistency. It was a very dysfunctional environment in Minnesota. He he got really caught up in ball watching and uh, and, and and got lazy with things like that. Um, but he's a physical specimen and I think, and he has a great wingspan and, and he's very quick laterally. And I think he has the potential to not just be an above average defender, but a truly great defender. And we saw flashes of that um, in his 12 game sample size last season with golden state. And I think that he's going to continue to make strides toward that direction. I'm not saying he's going to be an all defensive team guy, but I think, I think he has the potential to make life difficult on some of the best scorers in the league consistently, especially since he's not going to have to shoulder as much burden offensively. And I think, I think Anthony Edwards is kind of a similar deal. Like I think it's, I think it's going to matter a lot where he ends up. I think if he's coached, right, if he's put in a position to succeed, if he's taught the nuances of angles and things like that, I think he can be great. Um, I, but I also think if he ends up going to a place like Minnesota, which is very possible because he could be the number one pick, it might, that might not be the case because they don't really, they don't have a great track record with developing guys defensively. Um, yeah. It's, it's one thing if you're Anthony Edwards and you get drafted to a team with Draymond Green screaming at you to play defense. Like if you're on a team with Draymond, you care about defense, whether or not it's internal or external motivating factors. But if you're on Minnesota, man, that's a nightmare. Cause we know what D'Angelo Russell's opinion of defense is. We know that Carl Anthony Towns isn't like the most fervent defender either. Um, that could be a bad that's a, situation. That's an understatement. Yeah. Yes. He's the worst defensive big in the league. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Wes, that was that was a lot of fun, man. Good to good to hear your voice. Uh, you know, it was nice seeing you in the Bay, man. Hopefully, you can get back here. We can do one of these in person someday. Um, but have fun in Miami. And uh, you know, where where can all of our listeners find your stuff in case they're silly enough to not have already found it? <laughs> uh, listen to the podcast, Locked On Warriors, wherever you listen to podcasts. Find my Twitter account at WC Goldberg. I link to all of my podcasts and articles for Mercury News over there as well. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. Always enjoy getting his insights on the Warriors. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 